Our first scripture this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 20, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. take a few moments to prepare our hearts for prayer as we quiet our spirits and prepare to meet our Lord. Almighty God, we praise and glorify your holy name. On this blessed Easter morning, we come together to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In the early dawn, you raised Jesus Christ and delivered him and us from the destructive power of death. The tomb had no power to contain Jesus any longer, and the stone was rolled away to reveal his resurrected glory. Lord, we too have stones that need to be rolled away, the stones of our sin and disobedience that hinder us from fully receiving the wonders of your mercy and grace. Help us to roll those stones away, to put aside those behaviors and issues in our lives that keep us in darkness, 
We want to walk in the light of your glory. Help us, Lord. This Easter morning, we bring our prayers for a world that is so desperately in need of resurrection and new life. We pray for nations and peoples who struggle, for those who are being persecuted daily because of their love and devotion to you, for the poor in our community and across the globe, and for those we know who are aching, hurting, and in need of healing. Your loving hands of healing have been upon John Nance, Elizabeth Caldwell, and Kay Hedinger. And we pray this morning for Doris Renfer, who could not be here with us to worship because she's in the hospital. And we just pray that your healing and strength will be upon her and that her health will return very soon, as well as those we have mentioned in addition to that. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. Transform us so that we will live as your disciples, sharing the message of your gospel with everyone we meet. Grant us wisdom and give us obedient hearts to walk closely with you. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to love and accept one another as our neighbors. Hear our prayers, O Lord. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray the prayer he first shared with his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Oh, wow, I get to see you now. Happy Easter. Well, our scripture this morning is from John chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 26. We're going on a journey through John's gospel verse by verse. And I preached this same text last week, so I guess Mike has to clean up my mess this morning. No? All right. Well, it's a, it's a great story of a woman who encounters Jesus, and it's not at all what she expected to have happen. So let's look at this together. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not John who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. He came, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? 
as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words. And we thank you for the words that Pastor Mike will share with us now. Fill him with the spirit and the truth that we might receive what you would speak to us on this Easter Sunday morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Greetings in the name of the risen Lord. I uh, am grateful to be here with you today. If you haven't met me before or haven't met us before, I'm Mike Morgan. I'm one of the pastors here. You just saw Pastor Keith and Vicki Stanley, our uh, director of pastoral care, and we typically lead this 830 service. And so we're glad that you've joined us. And if you're from uh, uh, family members that are coming to be with each other, we're glad to have you. And if you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you call this one your home as well. One thing I can tell you for sure, if you come here from time to time, uh, there's never a time when Pastor Mike needs to come into this pulpit and clean up anything that Keith uh, has just done. It uh, is always potent and wonderful and and scripture-driven. Throughout the message, as is my tradition and is the tradition of this church on Easter morning, I'm going to uh, insert the ancient Eastern Orthodox greeting, uh, and I encourage you, it's a call and response. So every time I say, Christ is risen, you say... Yeah, I'll say it just like that. You know, all he did was die and come back to life and uh, uh, give you eternal life. Let's try it again. How about, you know, Christ is risen. He is risen. That's, that's how you do that right there. Thank you. Um, God bless you. Your Easter sermons as follows. Years ago, I was a youth minister out in western Colorado. I'd actually taken my first church of my own, and I had a small youth group that was building itself larger, and we went every year to this occasion called Up With Youth, which was at YMCA of the Rockies, Nessus Park. It cost a lot of money to go to that, and it wasn't really a rich town, so we were always doing this, that, and the other thing like youth groups are apt to do. One day, a guy came into church and said to me, his name was Jim Moore, and he's a farmer just west of town, and he said, uh, hey, Pastor Mike, I'd like to help some of those kids go to the Up With Youth, and I said, cool. (laughs) He said, no, there's more to it than that. 
I'd like you guys to come out and harvest some stones for me. Harvest stones? We lived in the Rocky Mountains for crying out loud. All you had to do is look down to find a stone. I said, Jim, what are you talking about, harvest stones? He said, every time you know the winter goes away, he says, it's odd. It sounds weird to you, maybe, because you're from the Midwest. But, but stones work themselves up out of the ground. And they're bad for the horses. The horses trip on a farm. So I put them at the southwest corner of, of my pasture. I had a 40-acre pasture out there. And I said, we'd love to help. He says, you better check with the kids. Because they're from here. And so I did, and a handful of us went out there, and we were going to earn $200 from, for cleaning the stones, for harvesting the stones out of Jim's field that day. And we started, uh, you know, I, we pulled a truck out into the middle of the field, and then I said, well, Jim, how do, how do you do it? I mean, how do you get the stones from here, you know, because I was picking them up and carrying them. You know, a stone the size of a basketball is pretty heavy, okay? A rock and rock. And some of the bigger ones, he says, Mike, the only way to move stones is to roll them away. Roll the stones away. And I got to tell you, rolling stones is hard work if you're in a 40-acre pasture. I don't care if it's uphill or downhill. Rolling stones is back-breaking, difficult work. And of course, like every youth group that we've been involved in, I had that kid in it that's kind of the sarcastic, smart aleck that hits the point sometimes. And so when they start saying stuff, you're kind of like nervous. And Bobby Metcalf was this kid's name, and he's rolling stone across the pasture. And he says, hey, Pastor Mike, we're just like Jesus. You know, I helped Bobby a lot. I knew Bobby Metcalf. He was not much like Jesus. <laughs> but I said, because he looked like he had that uh, Eddie Haskell yet profound look on his face. Sorry, that reference went by past a lot of you. <laughs> he says, we're, we're just like Jesus. You know, we're rolling stones away. We're rolling stones away. I thought, that is awesome. And that's your Easter message. Jesus rolls stones away. That's what he did. First words that Vicky said this morning came from John 20. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Christ is risen. Indeed he has. And understand this about that stone. Understand this. The stone has no power. It is a prop in the story of God. It is an image in the salvation story. Do not think for a moment that Jesus was somehow trapped in the cave of entombment of his grave. It was not as if he was a mime trying to get out of a box, trying to find a way. It wasn't as if on Easter morning, all of a sudden, he got superhuman strength and rolled that stone away because he was coming to save the day. The stone has no power because Jesus gives it none. The truth is the mat of, of this matter is that when Jesus wanted out of that grave, he wills it, it rolls. Jesus rolls stones away. That's what he does. You see, Jesus went into the cave to show us something very important for us to learn. That a grave cannot contain him and it can't contain you if you believe in him. See, Jesus rolled that stone away, not so that he could bust out of the cave. He rolled it away, not so he could escape from its darkness, but so that we could get in and see that stones that seem to entomb us and entomb our lives have no power against him. And for that, Christ is risen. He is risen. 
Indeed he has. And Jesus rolls stones away. Not just in graveyards outside the holy city of Jerusalem. The stone that that rolls at the grave is a historical event. It happened. It happened in, in real time. This is a truth that cannot be undone. It cannot be explained away. And many have tried. But if you look at the history of that time frame, the history of the Jews, the history of the Roman empires, the history of Arabia, each single history independently written, written about this period of time, talks about Jesus of Nazareth who had this strange band of followers who said, and prophesied that he would rise from the dead and then when he died the grave was mysteriously found open there was no body ever discovered no one seems to have stolen him so that the history itself seems to believe that the only reasonable conclusion is Christ is risen he is risen and indeed he has And so the stone, while it is a big stone that's rolled away from the grave of Christ, it is also a metaphor. And think about this. It's my intention in coming this morning. The stone is a metaphor for Jesus' engagement in our lives. See, Jesus rolls stones away. That's what he does. We find this example that Keith preached about last week, and I tell you a little about today, of the woman at the well outside the little city of Sychar. She was there about her daily business. You know, they didn't have running water. They didn't have uh, bottled water, no Dancini or anything like that. So she had to go to the well every day. Drop her buckets, her pails, or whatever it was she is. Pull out the water that she needed for the, the, the needs of her household, feeding the animals she had, and of course to quench her own thirst. She was just about the daily business of her day when Jesus engaged her. And she's taken aback by it. First of all, she's a Samaritan and Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Secondly, she's a woman and Jews don't talk to them too often either. And so when he begins speaking to her, you can see that she backs up a little bit because there's this huge stone in her life that's needed to be rolled away. She is thirsty. She is very thirsty. And when Jesus starts talking about water, she starts talking about water, but she doesn't understand what he's saying. So she, he explains her thirst to her. And then he goes about quenching the thirst of her soul, the thirst of her frustration, the thirst of her broken relationship, the thirst of her sinfulness, the thirst that she has for life that lasts forever. He rolls in that moment at the well, the stone of her entombment and entrapment in the midst of her daily life away. And her response is magnificent. A couple verses from now, we'll come upon it next week in John chapter 4. We see what happened to her. She ran back to her hometown and she said this, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Think about everything in context of your life. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Ten verses after that, it says this line, Many Samaritans... From that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. See, the stone that had trapped them in the grave of religion, the stone that had trapped them in the tomb of sin, the stone that had left an entire culture entangled and estranged from God has been rolled away. Long time before Mary Magdalene went to the disciples early on that first Easter with the news, I have seen the Lord. Jesus rolled away the stone for the Samaritans near Sychar way before the resurrection moment, for the woman at the well and for her brothers and sisters in Samaria, Christ 
is risen. He is risen indeed. Because Jesus rolls stones away. That's what he does. And I want to talk about three stones that that parallel her and our lives that Christ rolls away. See, Jesus rolls stones away. And the first one he rolls away is the fact that we are known not just known about. We are known, not just known about. There's a deep craving in every single life that I've ever met to be known and known intimately, to know others and to be known intimately. I was having coffee here not so many years ago with one of our colleagues, one of us that attends First United Methodist Church, and we were sitting in a coffee shop. And he says, you know, Mike, I know a lot of people by name. I do business here. And a lot of people could pick me out. They, they know about me. They could say, that's, that's him. That's, that's him right there. So I know about a lot of people, but I really only know a few people. You know, really know them. It's what I lack. It's what I go to bed at night wishing that I had. Being really known deeply by someone. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us this. That the all-knowing God that knows everything that is, was, and is going to be completely, completely knows you. And God knows the real you. And and being really known, you know, all the way is something we desire. It's something we pursue, pursue. It's something that we crave for in our life. And here is a God who loves us all the way through. I was in my office not too long ago, getting ready for a wedding. It's fun. Get to meet with couples before they get married. We have several conversation, and the, the, the husband-to-be and I were there at, at the appointed time, and apparently, as was her case, uh, she thought the t- thing started at a different time. Uh, she came in about 13 minutes, different starting time than we had. And she said, I'm sorry. I'm late. And he reached over to her and patted her on the shoulder. That's okay. We've been waiting for you. We're glad you're here. And she kind of grabbed his hand and then looked at me and says, Pastor Mike, that is why I want to marry him. See, he knows the real me. And still he loves me. To be known and to be loved in such a way is a magnificent thing. And this is how God loves us. He knows the real you, and still he loves you. And we know this about ourselves, being completely known is something that we crave, it's something that we want, and if you're familiar with, with, with uh, cinema at all, there, there is this character, Teviev in Fiddler of the Roof, who says, but on the other hand, on the other hand, we want to be known deeply and desperately and, and fully and completely, but on the other hand, Being completely known is somewhat unfamiliar ground for us, and it's somewhat terrifying ground for us. Because when you're completely known, you're going to be exposed, because whatever's in there, it's out there. I uh, used to really enjoy the 70s show, well, because, like, I'm from there. That's my home planet, you know. I used to watch the 70s shows, and there was a main character on there, if you didn't catch that show, named Eric. Eric was kind of the main character and kind of his group of ragtag friends kind of revolved around him. And of course, they did all the things that kids in the 70s did. But but just like other kids in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, other ages, 
They didn't necessarily share everything about themselves. And there were certain things about Eric that he really didn't want out there. And one of them was this, because his his friends were good at ribbing each other and giving each other a hard time. See, Eric really liked to roller skate, and he was really good at it. And, and he loved to roller disco. And so he had some of those satiny shorts that some of you had in the 70s. And he had some of those rainbow suspenders. You know, some of you still have them in your closets. You laugh because you know it's true. <laughs> Everything comes around. It'll be back. But, but Eric loved to put on those suspenders, and then he'd put on those giant headphones, you know, like the ones that have come back, but now they cost $700. <laughs> and he'd put on his cassette player that's now an iPod and iPhone, and he would skate around in the driveway, dance and disco, and he finally then would go down to the local skate rink, and he was known as Rainbow, the disco king, and he would dance around, and he was doing great, and all the kids there at the at the disco place, or at the roller rink, just paid homage to Eric, because he was so great at skating, but he had always kept this on the down low, because he really didn't want his friends to see him, and, and, and see him out there skating, because he thought it was kind of a, a, a nerdy thing, and one day, sure enough, all the rest of the characters in his ragtag bunch happened to the roller rink and saw him. And they began, because he'd been exposed fully, that which he did not want exposed, they began to rib him and abuse him significantly until finally he says, look, I don't care what you think. This is who I really am. This is who I really am. Now, I know that it made him nervous. Because that's how we feel. You know, exposing the real you makes some of us pretty queegy, pretty scary. It it did the woman at the well. When when somebody started to figure out exactly who she was, you know what she does? She goes into evasive maneuvers. She goes to talking about religion. I'll tell you something that's important to see about this scripture. When she starts talking about religion, Jesus starts talking about her. When she turns to religion, he turns to her. When we turn to religion, God turns to us. He's, our religion's important, but what he really, truly wants our hearts. And Jesus tells her whole spiritual biography. And stones begin to roll for her. Because the infinite, perfect, majestic God passionately is in love with insignificant, sinful, open, rebellious, and frequently indifferent people. And we're among those people. See, the woman only sees what's wrong with her. She only sees when she holds up a mirror the dark blot that is her soul and the mistakes that she's made. But Jesus, of course, acknowledges that. He says that. He talks to her about those things. But he also, and most importantly, sees what's right with her. He sees that she is filled with his potential. She is filled with what his greatest hopes for her are. And that huge stone that had trapped her so long That feeling of being second class, less than worthy, undervalued by Jesus is rolled away. Jesus rolls away stones. That's what he can do. And and, and the second way that our lives parallel hers is is that we're forgiven and we can stop fretting about it. She frets. She says, you know, I, I know I should be better. I, I know I should be better. This is stuff in my life that, that I should be better about. Pastor Keith and I can tell you of hundreds of experiences that we've had. It, it doesn't matter where we go because we are pastors. We seek to be men of God in everything that we do. 
And it's invariable that standing in the line at the movie theater or someplace, we'll get to talking to somebody nearby, and they'll finally get to that question, usually 30 seconds into the conversation, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a minister of the living God. (laughs) And you know what they do half the time? Most times they say, oh man, we have great church, blah, 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 or they talk to you. But the other half of the time they say, oh man, I haven't been in church such a long time, such a bad guy. And they start fretting. They start fretting about all the things that they've done wrong. Rather than just hand them over to God, they, they, they pick some intermediary which happens to be standing in the same line to the same movie and they say, my life is such a mess. And that's what she does to Jesus. Jesus meets her out there and she realizes he's some religious figure. So she starts talking about religion and she says, my life is such a mess. It seems unforgivable. I can't even raise my head up to look you in the eyes. And here's the good news for her and the good news for you. Jesus rolls the stone of sin away. He does. Jesus rolls stones away. That's what he does. And he records this in in, in 1 John later on. It says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But, this is where our lives come in. But. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Still, we fret. We know that. We know those words, but still we fret and we say, I should be better. I got to think and fret rather than just becoming better. We fret about being better. Look, we know our sins. And I know this about this congregation. If, If I were to pick any of you. If I were to pick any of you, I'll pick on Kurt because you already saw him. If, and Kurt's a really good Christian guy. But if, if Kurt came in here and he knew that today's message was Kurt Musser's 10 worst thoughts or sins and that that's what was going to be on the screen, I believe that Kurt would miss that day. <laughs> oh, because it would be a blank slate you'd come? Okay, amen. All right. But, but see, that's who we are. We, we want to be fully known, but we don't necessarily want to write. And if that was an experiment and I said, hey, write down your 10 worst things and hand it into the pastor, sign your name, we'll get back to you. We would get nothing in the offering plate that day. There would be no sheets turned in because we, we know our sins and, and we know what they are and we don't want them seen. We don't want them seen by anyone. And we especially don't want them seen by Jesus. And this is a huge problem in our culture. And I speak to you today on this Easter Sunday because it's important to hear. See, we know our sins. We don't want them to be seen by anyone. And particularly, we don't want them seen by Jesus because we've at some level been taught that something about us is unforgivable, which is simply not true. Or we've been told that we're unforgivable or the things that we do are unforgivable, which is also not true. This Easter, please, if you get nothing else out of this sermon, Understand this, that if you desire forgiveness and you believe in Jesus Christ, you can stop fretting about it. You can stop fretting about it. Listen to this truth from the pen of David in Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to to get angry and filled with unfailing life. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. You see, God is a loving parent. He doesn't want to put you down. He doesn't want to squash you. He doesn't want to cast his wrath upon you. He does not, says the scripture, punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Because do note this. This is why we need forgiveness. I don't ever, ever, ever 
want to get what I deserve. Because if I get what I deserve, I go to hell. That's the way it is, if we get what we deserve. But we do not get what we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of all the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. He's thrown our sins so far away from us, we can't even see them anymore. We can't even find them. See, Christ goes to this cross because of your sins. He already knows them. He has the list. He's familiar with them. And he picks up his cross so that he might roll the stones of your life away. And if you believe... You can stop fretting about everything that you've ever done wrong. That sin has been rolled away. That stone has been rolled away by our Jesus. You are forgiven and you can praise the Lord. In Romans 8, 4, Paul writes, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who the Lord's, whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Some of us are of the age of a permanent record. See, what the scripture says is that your permanent record has been cleansed of sin. Once God wipes them out, they do not and did not exist. He rolls away the stone so that you can receive what is freely offered, and it's for that Christ is risen. risen Don't lose steam. We are secure and saved and not struggling. See, I know that every once in a while Keith would give me a hard time because last year at Easter I sang a little Christmas song. Because I do believe that the cradle and the cross are intimately related. So I want to tell you a little Christmas parable right here at Easter. A long time ago, there was a husband that, he just didn't dig church. He didn't like going to church. He didn't really want to be any part of it. He really didn't get the whole Jesus thing and thought it was full of empty superstitions and all that sort of thing. So he let his wife go to midnight mass sent her by himself, and he sat by the fire and watched the fire burn, read his paper and so forth. And Wind was blowing outside. It was snowing pretty good. He looked outside, and he saw three little birds right outside his, his, his sliding glass door, and they were pushing against the door. They wanted in. They were cold. They were certainly going to perish out there in the cold all by themselves. They were stranded. They were struggling, and The man got up immediately and said, I've got to do something about this. I can save these birds. I can help them. And so he went outside, but when he opened the door, they they ran away from him. And so he went toward them trying to shoo them in, and and, but they were terrified of him. And every time he went toward them, they would hop uh, further away. They were so cold now they could no longer fly. So he said, I've got to get them. I've got to save these little birds. They're certainly going to die. So he went inside, and and, and he got some bread, and he he laid a breadcrumb path down from his his home into the open glass door now all the way out to them, thinking that maybe they would just eat one after another and follow them their way into the to, to the to the warmth of the fire and be saved for sure and, and and they wouldn't they wouldn't come close to what he put out there they they just continued to shiver and he knew that in just moments they would perish and he said he was so frustrated he said if somehow I could just become one of them I could go out there and I could lead them in and they'd be secure and saved not struggling and stranded and sure to die and it was right then that the Jesus message came home to him. Because that's, of course, what Christ did for us. 
He saw us struggling and stranded and certainly on our way to death. But he came, became one of us so that we might become secure and saved. See, this is the simple and profound truth of Jesus. In John chapter 3, it says, For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. He came to help us. He came to bless us. He came to bring us into wholeness with himself. Staying in that cave on Easter Sunday would have been our condemnation because it would have pointed to Jesus either as a lunatic, a crazy person, or worse. It would have been the greatest hoax that had ever been put on humankind, but he did not stay in that grave. The stone then has been rolled away because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And the tomb is empty. Salvation and security is a blessing for all who would receive it. Now make no mistake about this. Rolling stones is hard work. My youth had a choice that afternoon in western Colorado. And some of them rolled stones. Mike Smith rolled stones. Tammy Collins rolled stones. Bob Metcalf rolled stones. Amber, she did not roll stones. She sat on the tailgate of my pickup truck all afternoon. She did nothing. Jesus had a choice too. Things got hard. Then things got very hard. And in the moment of truth, a decision was necessary. And this is what happened. John chapter 12. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from, came from heaven and said, I glorified it and will glorify it again. See, Christ came for that very hour, which alone could lead to this one. This is the simple Easter message. It's clear to us. The stones in your life, whatever they might be, and there are some, and some of them are large and others are very much larger, but they have no power, whatever they are, because Jesus gives them no power over your life. Jesus rolled away the stone for Mary and the disciples to get into that grave so that they might see that he was gone. Jesus rolled away the stone of the Samaritan's woman's life so that she might have a new life. And Jesus rolled away the stones then and there so that here and now you might embrace the truth that you are known, that you are forgiven, that you are safe and secure in him. So all that's left to be said is happy Easter. Praise the Lord. Jesus rolls stones away. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. indeed he has. Take a look at this video. One of the things that I love about Marian Methodist the most is that for me it's been such a cornerstone of my faith. I've been a member here for 20 years and so I've progressed from that summer games youth to now a mother of two daughters growing up in the youth of the church. So um, it's, it's just been a, a staple for me in my faith and my relationship with God. We give our gifts to the church because we're very excited about the direction that the church is going. Um, again, the church has just been such a, a foundation for me and my faith, and we want that same opportunity for our own children and for our family. So we give to the church to support the mission and the vision and the growth of the church as it's moving forward. My name is Amy Stevens, and these are the reasons that we give to First United Methodist Church. Will you please join us in worshiping this way? Will the ushers please come forward?